could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we're keeping it pretty straightforward, talking about eight NBA questions that we believe are very relevant as we head down the stretch of the regular season. Because Logan, we are very close to the finish line now. And yet I would say there are still a number of things that we need answers to and a bunch that we are going to find out either if it's in this next slightly over a week of the regular season, or as we head into the play-in and the playoffs, and a bunch of interesting stuff still to be determined. And I think that the question mark that remains on the top of everybody's mind is really what's going on with the Lakers. And we've talked about their struggles throughout the season. We've talked about sort of can they remain title favorites in spite of everything that's gone on, given the precedent, given what we saw last year, what we saw when AD and LeBron were out there healthy. But as they're now sitting here, scrapping, tied for the sixth seed with the Portland Trailblazers, a team that has the second worst defense ever. What is your biggest question remaining? And can you still have the Lakers as that title favorite in that conversation? So I have a few really big questions about the Lakers uh, and their makeup moving forward. I think the biggest one, as you touched on, Carson, is can the Lakers simply stay healthy? Uh, 80's only been out there less than half of the time for the Lakers and uh, nearly as has LeBron, 43 of 68 games played for LeBron, 31 of 68 for AD. Uh, health is going to be the major concern. Without LeBron, uh, the Lakers don't have a prayer at winning this championship. That's first and foremost. I think the second biggest concern is one that we've had all year long, though, Carson, and that's will they be able to consistently knock down shots? Uh, they're, third and, they're 23rd in three-point percentage on the season, 35.2%. And something interesting, they've had 39 games, Carson, under 35% shooting from behind the arc this season. That's tied second worst in the league behind the uh, with the Cavaliers behind the Rockets. Like, that's not something to just sweep under the table. That is a genuine concern that in a playoff series, that's over half of their games where the Lakers could just go cold and then be played off of the floor. I, I don't think that's something that, you know, uh, you can just completely wipe away if you have a healthy LeBron. Um Outside of LeBron uh, is another concern we've had all season long. There's a lack of individual shot creators. Uh, you know, AD has struggled to find, take, and make good looks for himself without LeBron. Schroeder's a decent creator for himself, but he's nothing special. And I mean, you know, I like Kuzma and KCP in the mid-range, and, you know, they can knock down shots sometimes. They're off-ball of, off screens, but that's about it. And then finally, Carson, there's something that you've touched on on your Twitter briefly can Davis and Drummond play together? You know, they both, as I've touched on, they have a reluctancy to get out and uh, play. Uh, they have a reluctancy to get out to the perimeter in transition in the half court. Both of them want to protect the rim. That's not good. And then I just have a bunch of issues with Drummond specifically, man. He is he just doesn't work here. He's, he's one of the least switchable defenders in the pick and roll despite being decently agile. He's, I don't know if I've ever been more frustrated with a guy rolling to the rack, Carson. It, mm -hmm. it, he's, he's decently athletic. You should be able to roll to the rack and catch some oops, but he's just slow. It's like he doesn't he doesn't read the floor. He's he's just out of it. He's he's a non-factor on that end. I have a ton of questions about the Lakers, and you know if LeBron is fully healthy, I have faith that they will be able to contend for a championship. But I think with all of these concerns, I can't have them as my t title favorites anymore. Where would they rank in that conversation for you if you had to ballpark it? three, four, somewhere in there, five, okay. maybe. I mean, if LeBron's fully healthy, I think they're there. But I think there's a few teams that I'm just, I'm way more confident in top to bottom. Yeah, so these are basically the same issues that we've been talking about since the 
trouble really started for the Lakers. It's the shooting, as you mentioned. It's do they have enough guys who can go out there and win them a game outside of your two superstars. It's the health and the continuity. And it's the Drummond fit. And I want to talk about that one first because at the time, we were both pessimists about the signing. I said I thought it just didn't matter. You said you thought it actively hurt the Lakers. And there were always questions about, can he actually acquiesce? Can he stop demanding the post touches? And we still haven't really seen a fair test of that, I don't think, because we have so rarely seen this team fully healthy in the Andre Drummond era. But I just think all of his flaws have come to light. And people had this picture of Andre Drummond in their head that was not accurate. People thought maybe he could be that high-level role man, and he's not because of the lack of dynamism that you touched on. He's in the 10th percentile in pick-and-roll situations this year. That's atrocious. He doesn't deserve touches, and he certainly doesn't deserve them out of the post, as we've seen time and again. But I just think when you're comparing him to Gasol, who, as we talked about at the time, just looks so much slower than ever before, is so much less versatile offensively, can't really go bang down low in the post in the same way, is so much more reliant on just knocking down his threes. One of the things that I said was, I would prefer to have Gasol offensively by a wide margin because of the floor spacing. Because I think Drummond brings you absolutely nothing there. I don't think he's even as valuable as a JaVale or a Dwight was last year. at Those more dynamic forces rolling to the rim on the glass. Not that Andre Drummond doesn't suck up boards, but he really can't you know, fly in for a putback dunk as easily as those guys could. That quick hitting offense. I thought that Gasol's advantage was pretty much exclusively going to be on the offensive end. And I think that it's tremendous there. Even if he only scores five points per game, it's a much more valuable five points per game because it opens up so much more for the Lakers. Defensively, I would rather have Marc Gasol because they are both so slow-footed that they are both just absolute liabilities on the perimeter. And I just think Gasol is the better post defender. In a matchup against Nikola Jokic, I want Gasol playing the vast majority of those minutes because he's actually an intelligent Post defender with good footwork and the understanding of how to affect a great player's shots and make them uncomfortable, which Drummond just doesn't have. Drummond lets people shoot 52% when he's the primary defender. Gasol is at like 47%, so I still think there's a gap there. But then, offensively, it's just been a nightmare. In the eight games he and the AD have played together, when they're on the court at the same time, the Lakers have been scored by over 10 points per 100 possessions. They've played as the worst offense in basketball in the number 19 defense. Compare that to Gasol and AD lineups, which admittedly have the advantage of having overlapped with LeBron for much of the season as well. They've been elite. They're outscoring opponents by 10 points per 100 possessions. The exact opposite. That's a 20 points per 100 possession difference. Keep in mind, that's much greater than the difference between the best team in the league and the worst team in the league. And it's on both ends. And so I think at this point, it's just a time to not play Andre Drummond. I think that's plain to see, and I think it's a matter of whether or not Frank Vogel is ready to accept that, but he's been doing the exact opposite. It's Gasol who we've seen not really able to get those significant minutes on the court, but when he has been out there, he's impacted the game. I think that even in that Nuggets game where you see him come in for just a few minutes and he knocks down a couple threes and he's actually able to guard Jokic at a moderately high level, felt like that changed the game. And then next time out there against the Clippers in a blowout loss, he doesn't even see action. And he's played in three of the last six games. Just get Gasol out there and allow him to make the impact that you know he's capable of because I want smart, versatile basketball players on my team. And is Gasol the epitome of versatility at this point? No, but I think he can have a more pronounced two-way impact. I think the playmaking is not significant at this point, but I'd just rather have a smarter guy out there. And so I think everything points Gasol, like we expected, just much more so. And it's time to get Drummond off the court. 
No, I think it is significant what Gasol does as well. I, I think you're underselling the playmaking. He's still an excellent passer, and that matters in this he offense. Is, it's just every touch of his is pretty much around the three-point line. So I would say he doesn't have the same value as the post-playmaking hub he used to, but you're right, he's still a really good passer, obviously. That doesn't go away. And, you know, uh, we're going to touch on the Clippers later. Honestly, dude, I feel like both of these teams would have been beneficial if they had swapped centers. If Drummond had been able to go to the Clippers, if Boogie had stayed in L.A. Uh, with the Lakers. Like, I don't know. The, the Clippers don't really... I like Boogie anywhere. I still think he's a really talented center. But I just think the Lakers so desperately need that another floor-spacing five in this roster yeah. offensively. And... <laughs> I don't know, man. Drummond could very easily shoot the Lakers in the foot if he's still getting PT play, uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm trying to think about if there's a matchup in which I prefer Drummond out there. And I don't know, man. You're talking about a 6'10", 280 slow-footed guy. Like It's not like he's exactly a dream to have out there against a team like the Clippers that's going to be so floor-spacing heavy. Maybe because he's more athletic, he's better to battle with a guy like Zubots. But is that the matchup that's going to change your lineup decisions? I hope not. So I want to confirm, though, you said that you would, even in a hypothetical against Jokic, you want Gasol. I think especially in a hypothetical against Jokic, I want Gasol. I think that Gasol is equally strong, and I think that he's just smarter, and I think is honestly a better at affecting shots. Like, he's a better actual rim protector. He's just not a great vertical athlete. I would say Drummond isn't a great vertical athlete either, but just such better instincts. He's just a better post defender. And... That's the guy who I want out there right now. So, I am Team Gasol in that respect. All right, my last question on Drummond then. Carson, why do you think people get this this misrepresentation of Drummond? Why do people think he's a good center? Just because of the exorbitant rebounding numbers? Because most people don't watch basketball very much. Because for a lot of people, it's just a fun pastime. And it's something that you want to have an opinion on. But I don't think you can watch Andre Drummond and think, yeah, that guy's an impactful player who's really helping the team out there and maybe there were times in his career when he was a little more athletic but it's just so hideous offensively and as I said I mean he's been a significant negative on defense this year he's allowing people to shoot way better than their average against him and so when a guy is playing like that just don't play him because there comes a time when you need somebody to kick into gear right if we're just saying oh, okay it's Andre Drummond in the right situation he can make these adjustments Make them now. And yes, it's weird because AD and LeBron aren't out there, but I don't want to be relying on Andre Drummond in an opening round series against the Suns or the Clippers or the Nuggets. Great teams and say, make this adjustment when I know even at 85 years old, Marc Gasol knows how to play basketball in a winning way at the highest level. And that's what I would rather bank on. And I think that that is very apparent at this point. And I really don't want to rely on Andre Drummond for one to two play-in games if that potentially happens. Yeah, uh, neither do I. I don't know. He could go rogue. And I'm not even concerned still about him trying to take over stuff offensively. I'm just going to assume that he's not that stupid. But it's still just a miserable, miserable fit and has really been one of the worst-case scenarios, even though neither of us were at all optimistic about it. I want to touch on one more thing before we move on from the Lakers here. Between you and me, I think I might be doing a full video about the Lakers just because I think they're so fascinating right now. I'm not going to give a hard answer on whether or not they can remain the title favorite. I need to do some more thinking, and I honestly think I need to see LeBron and AD out there because, to me, it's going to come down to health in a lot of ways. And it's both their health in the exact moment and the continuity because I'm trying to think in my mind, the last time two stars missed this many games and then came together 
to win a title. The only time I can think of in the past 25 years where a single star player missed a legitimate chunk of the season, like almost half, and then they still won the title, was Scotty in 98. He played 44 games. I know that in 2017, I think Steph played 51, so he missed 31. But that team was obviously just a different level of talent. The gap between them and second place in the league was so big. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the year that KD missed like 30 games. And then it was the next year that Steph missed like 30 games. So Lakers, I mean, the Warriors were able to overcome a bunch. But to have two guys who are missing, as you mentioned, almost half the season, in AD's case, half the season, I just don't think that there's a precedent for those kind of teams being able to come back and win the title. And yeah, that's a crazy duo. But when AD hasn't looked like himself, when he's taking 23% of his shots at the rim, keep in mind this is the greatest lob threat ever, when he wants to be skilled big guard AD, like yeah, maybe that's just a preservation thing in the regular season, but it's kind of time to turn it around now. And LeBron might be legitimately dinged up. I don't know. If he's not able to play at this point, that's concerning. So it would just be unprecedented. But I'm not saying they can't do the unprecedented because I would say last year they did the unprecedented with Rajon Rondo as their third best guy in this NBA winning a title. And so I can't count them out because I still think this roster is better than last year. I still think when they were both out there fully healthy at their best this season, they looked better than last year as a team. We just haven't seen that in so, so long. And Schroeder's not going to be back into the playoffs there's just so many things that are so alarming and so strange, but I could never count them out because of LeBron James. With those soul anomalies, though, I mean, the supporting cast on like the 98 Bulls and the 2017 and 2018 Warriors is so superior to what the Lakers have this season. And I will say, yeah, I think they've been better when healthy, but if Drummond's out there, I think they are a definitively worse team than last year. Really? You think that overrides any benefit from a Schroeder of the world? This is this is still me looking at this in tunnel vision because we haven't seen LeBron out there a whole lot with them. But, mm-hmm. I mean, with what I've seen, I don't think it's going to improve. Yeah, I don't know, though. We're just going to have to... I think the big thing for the Lakers is we just need to see LeBron. Like, as, as dumb, yeah. as, as boring as that sounds. No, I don't think it's that boring or dumb. I mean, you're right. It remains the biggest thing when you're talking about the best player in the world at 36 who we saw do some superhuman things in last year's postseason, you know, it's all going to come down to that guy. So that's enough Lakers talk for right now. We will be back soon, though. Let's talk now about the team that they knocked off in the Western Conference Finals last year. You guys are probably thinking, more Nuggets talk? Oh, man, we don't ever get Nuggets talk here on Nerd Sesh. Well, good news. You're getting some right now. Logan, obviously with the Jamal injury, it felt like the entire picture really changed for the Nuggets. You had them as your favorite out West. I thought they were the second best team out West. My second favorite only to the Lakers at that point. Then it felt like everything changed. But they have been so exceptional. Even without not just Jamal, but without Will Barton, without Monte Morris, now without P.J. Dozier. Can this team still make a Western Conference Finals run? No, I'm back in, baby. I'm, I'm, I'm all back in on the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially against... Uh, what we saw against the Knicks, man, uh, Carson, you texted me, uh, or we spoke, and you were telling me about Jokic's performance midway through that game, and so uh, I went back and rewatched it. He's just toying with him, man. Like, when he's mm-hmm. knocking down those su- such tough contested shots in the lane, man, it's almost unstoppable, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't just Jokic. There's just, this roster is so deep with so many guys that can do 
so many things like Faku, man, when he is going and attacking the rim like he was the other night and getting his own buckets like that. Uh, yeah, I have confidence in them, man. They're Aaron Gordon has looked exceptional cutting off of uh, you know off ball screens, getting to the rack. Austin Rivers has looked great um, off of screens, shooting off of the catch, and he's just so dynamic, man. I love what Rivers brings to this offense because I just think he can do so many little things well, and it's. I don't know, man. It's a question, I think, with these individual guys like Faku, MPJ, Rivers. How much are they beneficiaries of Jokic? I think those questions are valid, but I don't think it matters because they're playing alongside him and thriving alongside him. Um, I still think they can make a Western Conference Finals run because of this amazing offense that is created by Nikola Jokic. There are a few things that I don't like with this team defensively, obviously. Um, I don't like their rim protection purely because of Jokic, and I think that Paul Millsap and Aaron Gordon are both... um, just negatives on the perimeter. Like, dude, how many times can Julius Randle just bully Paul Millsap like that? Yeah, Paul Millsap is not good anymore. Dude, he was getting just absolutely bodied by him, as was Gordon. Um, Gordon just had kind of has these defenses la- defensive lapses sometimes where I just question his overall awareness. Um, guys kind of scoot around on the perimeter sometimes behind him. And he just doesn't realize it, just little rotational stuff. I don't know if that's just a product of him being a bad defender or just uh, Denver in general and him transitioning there. He's also not really good at closing out on shooters. But, you know, other than these little minute defensive details with some players, I love it. I think that they can produce enough offense to get through the playoffs and compete for a title. I genuinely believe that. How about this, Logan? Because obviously you're expressing concerns basically only about the defense. Since Jamal went down for good with the ACL tear 12 games ago, the Nuggets have the number four defense in basketball. It has been the strength of their team. It's been better than their offense in that stretch as they have been remarkably 10-2 and and have not skipped a beat. And I really don't have that many concerns about this team's defense come playoff time. I think that if you don't play Millsap significant minutes, which they shouldn't because Millsap is a non-factor at this point, in my opinion. He's not a plus defender unless you have him guarding somebody out of the post, which is not going to happen very much. And unless he's hitting 40-something percent of his threes, he doesn't bring me very much at all offensively. But outside of him, this is a fast defense. This is a defense that can fly around. They have athletes all over the place. I think that even when you throw a guy in there like Austin Rivers, who you know is going to compete, even a guy like Shaq Harrison, who's probably going to play playoff minutes. And by the way, I'm okay with it. I really like Shaq Harrison, and I think that's a testament to Denver's ability to find good talent and then maximize those guys because it's time and again, man, we see them pop up. I mean, Faku has been remarkable. P.J. Dozier, starting with last year's playoffs, was obviously valuable then, but has been so much better this year. This team is just so deep, and that's why they've been able to sustain blow after blow after blow after blow. That in the fact that they have the arguably best offensive player in the world in Nikola Jokic, who is by far the MVP, in case you weren't aware of that. So I think that they absolutely do have it, because come playoff time, I think they're going to grind defensively. I think we're going to see what we saw in that Clippers series and in the second round of the in the second half of that Utah series where they can just kick into gear defensively and win themselves games that way. And whatever you lost with Gary Harris, I think you have gained back with the addition of guys like Faku and Aaron Gordon as sort of a collective force. And then I think that at the end of the day, you lose something when Jamal is not out there, no question, because you lose one of the best difficult shot makers in basketball. You lose your best pick and roll scorer, and you use you lose a guy who can actually go out there and close games for you. Damn near as well as anybody in basketball. But the good news is you also have a man at the epicenter of your offense 
who is just a whirling, unstoppable force of creating good looks for others and dominating for himself. And when you have smart, good pick-and-roll ball handlers like a Will Barton, like a Monte Morris when they're out there healthy, when you have great shooters on the wings like a Michael Porter Jr., and this is one of the best three-point shooting teams in basketball, yeah, they can go out there and win these series. I don't really have that much of a doubt because Jokic is going to go superhero mode. We've already seen in the last couple playoffs where he just took such a different leap, and who's going to stop him? It's not going to be Gobert. We've seen time and again that Jokic plays some of his best basketball against Gobert because why wouldn't he? It really doesn't affect him if you have a guy with tremendous length because every shot he makes is damn near impossible anyways. Suns fans will tell you they think that Aiton is the Jokic stopper. Aiton can kind of make life hard on Jokic. He's averaged 16, 14, and 8 against them on 51% shooting. And against the Jazz, he has been just unbelievable as well. Remember, he dominated Gobert that one time out. He's averaged 41, 13, and 7 against the Jazz on 63% shooting. Nobody's stopping that. And as long as the guys around him knock down shots, just run everything through Jokic like you do for the entire regular season. There's nothing about this that doesn't translate, and there's nothing about it that is singularly dependent on Jamal Murray in the way that most teams are dependent on their second-best guys. So is there a matchup for you that you look at and say they can't win that? Because I don't think there's very many matchups where I think that. I, first of all, I'd like to say... The phrase Jokic stopper might be the dumbest one I've ever heard. Yeah, try stopping the greatest offensive big man of all time. That's just dumb. Okay, but to be fair, people look for a LeBron stopper. They look for a Curry stopper. Those guys don't exist, but there are people who can make life harder. I don't know, but to insinuate anything like that is just it's pointless. That man's unstoppable. But as for as for matchups in the Nuggets, um, I don't really think that anyone... I won't say stands a chance. Like, I mean, I would give the Mavericks and the Jazz an outside chance in those first two rounds, obviously, just because of how talented they are. I think the worst ones are the Suns and the Lakers for the Nuggets. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you can count on the Lakers to play really good team defense. They've been doing it all season with LeBron or without. So I think with a healthy LeBron, with a healthy AD, I think they have the defensive capacities to make life hard on the Nuggets. And I think the Suns do as well. They're an excellent defensive team. They've got a lot of smart cutters like... Uh, Denver. So I would say that the two biggest threats, in my opinion, to Denver are the Lakers and the Suns, probably followed by the Jazz. Uh, are you in agreement? Am I leaving anybody off? Did you mention the Clippers? Because I think that the Clippers could be trouble for literally anybody I because mean, of the shooting. Yeah, but I, I think the one spot, and again, we'll get into this later, I think the Clippers are just really missing that defensive big. Like, I like... yeah. If Surge is if Surge is healthy, I would give them a swing, a puncher's chance. But uh, I would still probably take uh, the Lakers and the Suns over them. I mean, yeah, I just don't like the matchup specifically against Jokic at all. Yeah, I think that to me the Lakers still stand out just because they're a bigger, more physical team, and I think that that can give some problems to the Nuggets. But the Lakers also have to be quick enough to guard the Nuggets, and they have to be quick enough to cover four shooters and active cutters at all times. And if you can't do that, then you're going to get beaten. And you can't play Andre Drummond in that series. And guess what? It's not going to be great playing Marc Gasol either. But I do think that they're probably going to be able to punish Jokic on the interior more than most teams do because Jokic is such an interesting defender, and I think that his issues get overblown, but he is physically... Obviously, one of the least impressive defenders you could ever watch. And I think that that could be a series in which he's matched up on AD. And 
maybe a little bit of trouble, but I don't know also. It's not like AD can move him down there. It's just going to have to be slipping the pick and roll and catching a bunch of lobs over him. Uh, Carson, I want to ask a kind of off-base question, uh, if you don't mind. Um, if you were the Nuggets, if you were the Nuggets front office, when MPJ's contract comes up, do you bring him back if he's commanding, if he's demanding a lot of money? Well, I think that he's probably going to get max money, but... I'm paying Michael Porter Jr. I think he's the perfect third guy for this team. I think that a guy who can hit you with that kind of quick offense with elite efficiency and can just slide in there and be that easy-to-fit-in piece is perfect, and that's exactly what they need alongside their transcendent all-time player and then their number one perimeter bucket getter, which is what Jamal is and will be going forward. So, yes, I think that you pay MBJ, and I think if those are your three guys going forward, and those three are good enough to win a title, especially if you can keep Aaron Gordon around, which they might not be able to pass this contract, but you still have a brief window that you got to try to make the most of. So, I love the Nuggets, obviously, and I think that they are playing <laughs> remarkable basketball. I will say, we're not looking at a team that is close to fully healthy right now. I think, for me to be comfortable saying they can still make a Western Conference Finals run, we need Barton out there, we need Monte, we need P.J. Dozier, at least two of the three, because right now they are running low on quality talent and they're still winning games and running through teams, but it's a little bit precarious and you can't really be without three of your six best guys or I guess throw Jamal in there, four of your seven best guys or whatever combination you think it is, that will do some damage, but I don't think there's a team that I could say is unbeatable for the Nuggets. I mean, the Jazz are going to be tough for everybody just because of the depth of talent and obviously the shooting and the offensive versatility and being an elite defensive team. That's a fantastic basketball team. I think the Suns are difficult because of the star power at the top, the incredible role players, the defensive intensity that they are going to bring. But I don't think there's a single team that I can say if every shot is falling for the Nuggets, they can't win that. I really don't think that there is, but I do think the Lakers are the toughest. Okay. Let's go back to the Lakers for one second, and then we'll be done with them for this show. Because obviously, the possibility has opened up that they could actually have to go through the play-in. Because, as I said earlier, they're sitting tied with the Blazers for that sixth seed. If they did have to go through the play-in, would this be LeBron's most impressive title ever? I think so. I mean, first of all, the, the first year it's introduced, uh, you see something just completely unprecedented happen. A guy goes through the playoff. Just the... For that to happen, it's it's impressive. But I also just think, I don't think the West has ever been as deep as it is right now, man. And we've said this before, but you can just take a look at the star talent out here, man. Three all-star caliber talents in Utah, um, in Conley, Mitchell, Gobert, Jokic, Doncic. It's, this is the deepest the West has ever been, and I think it's impressive for that reason. But also, this roster just has not... I mean, yes, it's improved from last season, and I think... Last year, outside of AD, is one of the least talented rosters we've ever seen win a title. Mm -hmm. A lot of those same guys being brought over this year, I think for all those reasons, just the West being deep, the feat of the accomplishment uh, of going through the play-in and simply winning, and then just the pool of talent that the Lakers have, yes, they're gradually improved, but not drastically from last season. Hell yeah. I think this might be one of the most... If they went from the play-in to winning the title, it might be one of the most impressive championship runs ever period yeah it could be really a topper on a goat resume and if he were able to do that I don't know it would make the conversation between him and Jordan something we would have to re-examine yet again after he already pulled off what he did last time around no question this would be the most impressive title ever and 
I think that part one of it is that all of the outstanding questions we touched on earlier remain. The health, the continuity of the team, the drum and fit, the shooting, the guys around them, so many things, a lot of which are out of LeBron's control, that remain undetermined. And we still have to see if they're going to come together as you would hope. But here are his paths to titles thus far by opponent winning percentage. Because I wanted to look at this because I agree with you. I think that not only is this the best West ever, he's going to have to face a powerhouse in the finals. And he's had to do that for much of his career going up against Western Conference teams. But I think that this would be outside of the 2016 Warriors. I was about to say the best team he'd have to beat for a title, but the 2013 Spurs were exceptional as well. But a really, really, really good team, no question. So, anyways, here is each year by opponent winning percentage. 2012, his opponents won 62% of their regular season games. Very good mark. 2013, they won 58% of their regular season games. Not quite as good. 2016, they won 67%. Now, that's a really high number, but keep in mind that's with the Warriors in there who throw everything off because they won 73 games. He only faced one other 50-win team. And then 2020 last year, one of the weaker paths to a title, I would say, that we've seen in some time, 58% opponent winning. Their projected path, if they are the seventh seed, we'll call it Suns in the two seed because they're sitting there right now. Then you face either the Clippers or the Nuggets in the second round, whoever ends up in that three seed. And then you have the Jazz, presumably, as the one seed. And then, although the Nets are not the one seed out east, I'm going to take them over the Sixers because I think they are clearly the better team come playoff time. And so, if you put all that together, it's an average opponent winning percentage of 69%. Those are all elite teams. I think we can truly say that. You are going through four of the... Six best teams in basketball. I think that you're playing every other great team except for yourself. And then whoever does not make, whoever you don't face out of the top four Western Conference teams, because there's one of them who you're not going to play. And then that group, the Nets and the Lakers, to me, is the top six teams in basketball. You go through that entire group, not to mention you're going to have to beat some scrappy team in the play in. And your weakest opponent record as of now would be the Nets at 43 and 24, which is a 53 win pace and a team that has the most talented offensive trio ever, and you're 36 years old with no time off to build chemistry, and you and your co-star are both coming off of injury, I mean, it would just be beyond remarkable, and I think it would probably be what he needs to actually surpass Jordan. Now, it all depends on how it actually happens, and it would take a re-examination of things once it is actually said and done, but... It wouldn't be a miracle because I don't think anything can be considered a miracle with LeBron James on your team. It is always possible, and you could argue it's even probable, but it would be one of the most impressive things that we've ever seen. So we talked about some of the matchups that specifically the Lakers would have to go through. Let's just look through the entire playoff field because the seeding is shaping up, but it's really not clear exactly what teams are going to play who just yet. We still have a battle for the one seed out west. We have a battle for the three and four seed out west. We have the entire five through seven group mixing up out west. And then out east, we have some nice clumps in the middle as well. So, Logan, what are your ideal playoff matchups, both out east and out west? Let's start with the east. Well, out east, I think the first, I've got four matchups laid out that I really want to see. Two in the first round. The first two I want to see, I want the Wizards to get through the play-in so we can just see Philly-Washington and just see Russ go off in the first round, man. I Honestly, man, like, I trust the Sixers, obviously, to come out of that matchup because they've been consistent all season. They've got a lot of great shooters, and they've got better top-end talent. But 
I give I give Washington with how they've improved on the defensive end in this recent stretch a shooting chance, man. I mean, you've got top end talent, Beal and Westbrook. I trust Beal to, uh, you know, make tough shots when they need them, and I trust Russ to just play hard. Um, if Russ is, again, if Russ is deterring to uh, West, uh, if Russ is deterring to Beal in those big moments, I think Washington has a chance. I just think it's going to be an interesting matchup, just because of how many stars we'd see. And then the other first round matchup I'd like to see, Brooklyn and Miami in the first round. Man, we have had so many questions about Brooklyn's defense and look I don't I wouldn't trust either of these teams to get out of the first round but uh it would definitely be interesting to watch Miami try to clamp up uh Brooklyn's big three uh, just because they have the assets to compete um after that I think Brooklyn Milwaukee is a really fun matchup and I think Milwaukee matches up better with Brooklyn than any other team out east we saw in their two back-to-back losses against Milwaukee man I just don't think Brooklyn has the interior presence. It's it's almost like a perfect... Nearly every possession, you would see Giannis draw out Blake and Jeff Green or whoever they had in the paint. Every possession to guard him individually, which would open up just lanes for backdoor cutters for Bryn Forbes to move off ball to get an open shot. Um, and they're good defensively. So I think Milwaukee really gives Brooklyn a run for their money if they see it. And obviously, I want to see the two best teams, in my opinion, out east. I want to see Brooklyn and Philly in the ECF because I think definitively they just have more top-end talent than anybody else, and I want to see them slug it out. Okay, so I just went with all the first-round matchups I want to see because I think that, honestly, the depth of playoff talent this year is so great that I think we can end up with a scenario in which basically every first-round series is wildly entertaining. So I agree with you on Sixers versus Wizards. It's really just about who I want to see out of the play-in. And it would be really fun to see the Hornets. I think that that's a young team that is aesthetically pleasing in a lot of ways and has a lot of guys who it would be interesting to see how do they perform in those big spots. Can Miles Bridges make an impact in those big moments? What do we see out of P.J. Washington? Obviously, top of the list is LaMelo, but there's a bunch of guys who could kind of swing a series. A Rogier, a Gordon Hayward, a Devontae Graham even. Now, none of those guys are going to swing a series against the Sixers. The Wizards do have guys who could actually do that. And I thought about the Pacers, too, just because I love the Pacers bench, and I think that the best version of that team should be a lot better than the Wizards. But we haven't seen anything close to it. And there comes a point where you just got to think a team isn't going to be able to turn it around, and Bjorkgren is apparently probably going to be out after this year. Great decision-making, Indiana. Good call letting go of Nate McMillan. He was a terrible coach, clearly, and has done awful things in Atlanta. And so, yeah, I'd like to see the Wizards out of the play-in. I think that Russ is probably getting disproportionate credit for what they're doing because Beal is by so far their best player, but that doesn't mean that Russ isn't helping putting this team on his back as well because he is, and it's really remarkable what they've done without a lack of significant supporting cast talent. But as you mentioned, a lot of that is about the improvement on the defensive end. So I don't think the Wizards would have a chance at all. As hot as they've been, I mean... I just really don't think they're putting up the kind of offensive numbers you would think maybe on their best day they can against the Sixers. That is a formidable defense both on the perimeter and the interior, and I think that it would give them a lot of trouble. And then I would like to see the Nets actually face off against the Celtics in the 2-7 matchup, and I thought a lot about the Heat as well, but ultimately I decided it would be most fun for me to see not only the Kyrie-Celtics rematch, but just see... I would say the more 
impressive combination of just raw scoring talent. I mean, you're talking about matchups on the wings. You're not going to get much better than Harden and KD versus Jalen and Jason Tatum. And you could argue a third offensive star when he's playing at his best level in Kemba Walker. And I still think that the best version of the Celtics can be really good. And I think that because of their difference in offensive ability compared to the Heat, they might have more of a puncher's chance in that series. And then I would love to see Bucks Heat in the 3-6 just because I think the Heat absolutely still have upset potential when they are actually out there fully healthy and playing competent offensively and knocking down shots that you expect them to knock down. And I want to see the rematch because obviously it was an amazing upset last year. And I think that the Bucks feel better about their chances probably headed into this with Drew Holiday now into the mix. And I think that the Heat on their best day could arguably be better too if Oladipo was actually out there playing, if Hero's knocking down shots, if Dragic is playing his best, all that. And then in the 4-5, I want to see Knicks Hawks. And I think that this is interesting because you could say maybe it would be better to see the Heat or the Celtics in that 4-5 spot, a team that you probably think on their best day is better and maybe has more potential to make a little bit of noise in a second round series or whatever. But I personally think that the Knicks and Hawks at this point deserve to have one of the two come out of a first round series because they've been the better regular season teams than the Celtics or the Heat. And as opposed to underachieving, they have significantly overachieved throughout this entire season. And so I want to see that rewarded. And I also think it would just be a really competitive, fun series, an interesting contrast between super defensively focused Knicks and then the Hawks who on their best day are just a team that can beat you with a bunch of different players offensively they have the offensive superstar driving it all and so I think that would be a great matchup I think it'd be competitive and I think it'd be a really fun series and again I think that they deserve to have one of the two of them come out of the first round I'd love to see Celtics Nets as well honestly um I just want to see playoff Jay both of them um and hopefully healthy fully against Brooklyn um and then as for, I didn't even mention Knicks Hawks. I think that's the most interesting playoff series out East because I feel like all of the other ones are kind of, I won't say foregone conclusions, but everybody expects the top seeds to come out. And Knicks Hawks, I don't know, man. Anything can happen and both teams are have been hot on separate ends of the ball. I think that's probably the most fun series to watch out East. Okay, so let's move out West now. What are the matchups that stand out to you there that you really want to see? So, uh, obviously, I want I want it to hold. I don't want to see... I wouldn't be mad if I saw Lakers-Suns. I think that's a really fun matchup. But I want to see the battle for LA in the first round just because it's so it's so intriguing, man. And if we get... Uh, do we know anything, like, about fans at all? Like, are we going to have fans to the playoffs at all? I think that we're going to be looking at limited capacity everywhere. Either way, I mean, limited capacity battle for LA is going to be intense, high energy, um... So I want to see that in the first round, and then I definitely want to see Golden State versus anybody in the first mm-hmm. round. We just need playoff Steph Curry. Um, maybe we can see some magic happen. So those are the two big ones, and then I did write down a future round. I want to see the Nuggets get to the uh, to the Western Conference Finals, and I don't really care who they play, but um, I think all of those are realistic. We can see them happen. Uh, those are my favorites, though. Yeah, some good choices, I think. I, again, laid out all my first-round matchups that I want to see the most, so I agree with you. I want to see the Warriors. I want to see Jazz Warriors in the 1-8. I think that the Jazz are maybe a better matchup for the Dubs than the Suns are. Either way, you're not going to see an upset, but they split their regular season meetings thus far, and I just think we got to see playoff Steph, and Steph could easily drop 40 a game in a series, and even though it's going to be in a losing effort, that would be a lot of fun to watch. I think it would be a fun offensive series, and I think that 
there would be some high-level defense play too because the Warriors are probably stronger on that end as an overall team than they are offensively because of everybody but Steph. So I think that that would be a lot of fun. I have Suns Trailblazers is what I would want to see in the 2-7. I think that I considered putting the Lakers here just because I want to see the Lakers in the play-in and to be in the play-in, you have to be in the 7 just because I think that would make for such a remarkable story if they were able to make it deep. But I also think the Suns have earned a somewhat easy first-round matchup. They've been so great that it would be really brutal for them to fight this hard, fall just short of the one seed, and then you draw the freaking Lakers. But I still think that them going up against the Blazers would be a really fun duel of great backcourts. Obviously, a couple of dynamic duos there. I think that Aiton versus Nurk would be interesting too, so that'd be a lot of fun. And then like you, I want to see Clippers-Lakers. I don't know how you couldn't. Maybe you would want to see it in the second round, but at that point... What's the difference? You can't see it in the conference finals with things as they currently sit. And so, as I said, I want to see the Lakers in the play-in, but I think for an actual series, this would be better than Suns-Lakers just because I think Suns-Lakers would be a grind, man. I think it would be a little bit slower. It'd be a little bit more defensively oriented, and that just doesn't fully feel right for a first-round matchup to me. This would be an amazing contrast stylistically. You have the bigger, more physical team versus the perimeter-centric all-time shooting squad, star-studded, obviously, bunch of massive names, questions about some of the role players on both squads. I just think it would be kind of a toss-up of a series. And obviously, Kawhi LeBron is all-time stuff. I don't think it matters when you see it because this would be, uh, it would have the makings of the best first-round series ever. I think that that is safe to say, and that would be pretty awesome to see. Yeah, and you talk about the stylistical differences. I mean, the Lakers are going to have to run to keep up with the Clippers, Mm -hmm. man. Yeah. And that would be a lot of fun to see. And then I would love to see the remaining two teams, Nuggets, Mavs, in the 4-5. I just think that would be remarkable. It would be so much great offense played. I think it is the two best players, presumptively, of the post-LeBron era squaring off the two transcendent offensive centerpieces that are going to carry this game into the next generation. And man, it would just be fun to see some games up in the 120s just about every time out, kind of like what we saw with Utah-Denver last year. I think this would be a better version of that. I think Luka and Jokic would both go berserk, and I just want to see that happen. Do you give the Mavs a do you give the Mavs a genuine chance? Define genuine. I think that they would have a twenty something percent chance of winning that series. I think that that's the best matchup for them, probably, in which they have the most upset potential. And it just depends on what level the Nuggets play at defensively, but. Luka is a problem for them, man, because I love Faku, and I'm a huge advocate of his defense. I said it, I thought he should be all defense honorable mention. He is not guarding six foot eight Luka Doncic, so I guess you're putting Gordon on him, but I think he's getting Gordon in jail quite a bit. That's the matchup, though. It'll be fun to watch, but I think that he's putting up massive numbers, but I think Jokic is putting up more massive numbers on the other end, and the Nuggets are just the better all-around team. But the best version of the Mavs is a really good team, too, and that's something that I would like to see come playoff time. All right, so let's talk about a team now that is scrapping to get into that picture still and remarkably has kind of worked their way back into it after it felt like they were almost out of it, even though we expected them to be in there. The Pelicans are a game and a half out of the 10 seed right now with the Spurs having been on a significant skid as of late losing five straight. So to you, Logan, what do the Pelicans have to do to get into the play-in? And then were they to get there, would they have a better shot of actually getting through it than the Spurs who are currently sitting in that 10 spot? I'm going to get into it, but I want to start out by just talking about just how weird the Pelicans are, man. They are the strangest team, I think, in the NBA. They've been so hot and cold this season. We've seen stretches where they have 
the best offensive rating in the league. And then we'll have stretches where they're the, over the last 15, they have the best defensive rating in the league. It is, they're frustrating, they are confusing, they are captivating, and just like even some of the makeup we've seen on this roster. You know, we see Isaiah Thomas get some minutes earlier. I flip on a game the other day. If for some reason, James Nanali is getting, you know, Nunnally is getting minutes. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, bro. I, I don't know what they're doing. Um, they're, they're just a confusing team. Uh, I think, obviously, to get into this play-in, uh, they've got to win a lot here uh, lately. They've got to continue this stout defense. And I think they've got to shoot well, man. Uh, over the last 15, Lonzo has shot 36% from deep. Uh, B.I. has shot 37% from deep. Uh, one thing I will say on to the shooting point, Najee Marshall needs more minutes, man. That dude is just wet from behind the arc. He's shooting 42% from deep over the last 15. Uh, we just need to see an uptick in offense. Uh, I don't know if that is going deforming more to Zion. He has been taking over. Honestly, this team needs to produce more threes on that end and shoot well and just defend well, as does a lot of teams. But as uh, how they contend against the Spurs, I think they do have a better chance. And I think it has to do, obviously, with their defense, but as well as I like the Pelicans' top two more than uh, anybody San Antonio has. I, do I trust DeMar DeRozan? No. Do I trust... I don't trust DeMar DeRozan. I don't trust the other top guys here in San Antonio, but I trust Zion and B.I. to put up buckets. So I think their top two guys are better, and that's why I'm going with the Pelicans. But uh, they've got to defend well, and they've got to shoot well if they want to have a chance at just getting in. Yeah, I think that I agree. I mean, for this team all year, it's kind of come down to shooting and defense. And the defense has been the bigger of the two problems, but at the beginning of the year, they just couldn't knock down shots, and they didn't look like a playing contender because of it, despite the offensive talent they had with their duo. And then all of a sudden, they were knocking down shots, and they were winning some games, and they just haven't been consistent. And the Spurs have been a very consistent, maybe less talented team than the Pelicans, but they've been consistent and reliable. But I absolutely think that the Pelicans would have the better chance at this point. And it's going to be really interesting to me to see if they can actually get in there because these two teams have a couple of really tough schedules down the home stretch. And when you have to make up a game and a half with six games to go, that's not easy to do. It's possible, but it's not easy. But the Spurs, man, they have to go through in their last seven, the Suns twice, the Nets, the Bucks, the Blazers, the Knicks, and then the Kings are their only easy game. It's the second toughest strength of schedule remaining. They're not a favorite in any of those games except for the Kings, who, by the way, they could still reasonably lose to, even with the injury bug that has bit Sacramento so hard. And so that's brutal, but then the Pelicans would still have to go through Sixers, Mavs, Lakers, although that's not the worst team you could play right now. Warriors, Grizzlies, Hornets, that's their six, and you know that's not exactly a walk in the park either. But I do think that they would have a better chance of getting through that, and I do think that they have the kind of duo... They can just put a team on its back for a couple games and carry you through the play-in. And that's what I look for is who has that star value at the top. It is them by far. I would personally much rather see it. I respect the hell out of what San Antonio has done this year. I think it's been great for them to be competitive. But they're just not as fun. And when Zion is playing like a true superstar, when he is scoring 30 a game, when he is a wrecking ball of a force in the interior like he has been for a couple months now, that's what I would just rather see. And I think that the Pelicans are just the better team top to bottom, really when it comes down to a play-in situation. But it's going to be interesting to see if they can get there, and I certainly don't think it's a sure thing. Do you think, I mean, would you take the Pelicans to get out of the play-in if they get there? No, I would not. I think that they're still the third out of that group 
of them Warriors Grizzlies and I don't know who I would pick out of there right now I'm gonna have to still do some thinking you like Memphis less than New Orleans I like Memphis more than New Orleans I was saying the Pelicans are third out of those three I consider whoever's okay. in the seven seed to be in a different tier because I think that okay. that team is so clearly so much better. And I'd be shocked if whoever it is, the Blazers, the Mavs, or the Lakers didn't get into the actual playoff. But out of the eight through 10, those teams that have kind of been scrapping for it all year, I think the Pelicans would be the weakest. But I also think, I don't know, man, we could see some crazy stuff from Zion and BI that would be a lot of fun. Okay, let's switch gears here. And talk about a team that has certainly not been scrapping for the 8 through 10 seed. Has been towards the top of the conference for a very long time. But with some interesting combinations of, of talent. And that, of course, is the Brooklyn Nets. Who we still really haven't seen fully healthy on the year. And they've been struggling a little bit as of late. Having dropped four straight. Logan, are you at all concerned that we still haven't seen the Nets' big three all out there? And do the recent struggles concern you at all? Um, I think you have to be concerned, obviously, with their, you know, recent string of play, losing four straight. But also, yeah, I I'm super concerned that we haven't seen all of these guys at full health. There's uh, the cohesion. There's the cohesion element. They haven't played together. And you want to talk about there being, you know, it'd be completely unprecedented about LeBron and AD. It'd be completely unprecedented if all of these guys just came together and won a title. Granted, I think it clearly at full health, I think the Nets are the most talented team in the league. But when when you're how do I say this when you're uber talented man like yes I can have faith in you but they have other concerns in that just their overall defense man and it's not the issue with guys being engaged they just don't have the personnel it's they don't have that dominant rim protector man and it's literally I think all they're missing Nick Claxton has been good in the minutes he's received DeAndre Jordan has looked good but in those lineups where you've got Blake and Jeff Green out there you are losing you're going to get scored on on the interior. It happens every time they're out there. It's, I am I am very afraid of the Nets in both ways. That they could get really hot, but I also think that this defense could easily let them down. Man, I'm I still think they're my I still think I'm going to take them out of the East because I'm crazy. But I just I don't know. I have less faith in Philly, but uh, I'm definitely concerned. Man, this has not been a good stretch. I don't think you could say that you're crazy for taking the Nets. I mean, they're the best team at out East, and I think that they're going to show that. And obviously, the defense is unprecedentedly bad, as we've touched about, as we've talked about. Like, I don't think a team has ever won a title with a defense this bad, but they also have the best offense of all time. So I think that that is a pretty strong counter to that deficiency. To me, when it comes specifically to the continuity, yeah, you have to be a little bit concerned. They have played seven games together as a big three. That's crazy. There is no tune-up time, and Harden is optimistic he's going to get back before the playoffs. That's great, but you don't exactly want the first or second round of the playoffs to be your feeling-out period. That's just an absurd challenge that you're going to have to deal with, and they've been great together. When the three of them have played, they have an offensive rating of 122, all-time stuff, as you would expect. And really, the questions that I did have about, okay, how are these guys going to acquiesce? How are they going to sort of negotiate the balance between ball dominant and off ball play their offense has been flawless it's been flawless when two of them have been out there it's been pretty darn good when one of them has been out there especially if that one is James Harden as that single offensive engine and when the three of them were out there it was phenomenal but you just haven't had time to establish a hierarchy you haven't had time to develop that feel with each other 
it's just going to be really weird and, as you said, unprecedented if they can actually come together and do this. But maybe this is just a season for unprecedented stuff. I mean, it would be almost unprecedented if the Jazz won a title, given who their best player is. It would be pretty shocking in some ways if the Suns won a title without a top 10 player. We haven't seen that happen in a very long time. And so, no matter what, we're going to get something weird to happen. But I think that the Nets are still too tremendously talented to have anybody else as your pick out East. But, yeah, it's a little bit concerning. I'm honestly not that worried about their four-game losing streak. I mean, they've played some really good teams, and the defense hasn't been good. But guess what? The defense hasn't been good all year, and we knew that. I'm just more concerned about the fact that they haven't been able to develop that rhythm as a full cohesive unit. So, even after their back-to-back losses against Milwaukee, you're not concerned about them at all? I mean, they played a couple of really good games against another great team. Really competitive shootouts. Same with the Mavs game. Like, when you're losing in close games to really good teams, I'm not just suddenly going to flip my opinion on you because I know what they've done, and they can just as easily win those games. And if they win one or two of them, then we're not concerned, and I don't think we should be concerned. So who's the second biggest threat to Brooklyn, in your opinion, out east, Philly or Milwaukee? I think it's Milwaukee, no question. I just think they're a more high-powered offense, and I don't think that Philly has the weapons offensively to go out there and actually take out the Nets. I mean, Embiid would go insane— but I don't think they have the shooting, and I don't think that they have the versatility offensively to counter what the Nets have, which is going to be just utter dominance no matter what. You're not keeping the Nets from playing elite offense, no matter how good you are defensively. It's a matter of, can you take it from the best offense ever to just really, really good? And then can you produce enough on the offensive end for your own team to actually outweigh that? And I don't think that the Sixers can do that. So... It's interesting because in some ways we're asking the same questions about the Nets and the Lakers that we have been all year just because, obviously, we still haven't seen what we expected these teams to be at full force. But there's another team that has been pretty healthy and has had a really interesting season and we're still kind of trying to make sense of them in their own unique way, and that is the Clippers who haven't necessarily been playing their best basketball as of late. They're scrapping for the three seed right now, but also are out of the expected contenders probably the most reliable if you're throwing the Nets and the Lakers into that conversation. Logan, what do the Clippers have to do to actually become your title favorite? I mean, I'd question maybe they already should be. Uh, You touch on the all season long, they're second in offensive rating, they're ninth in defensive rating, they have the second best net rating on the year. Um, and they're elite at creating threes. They're league average in three-pointers attempted, but sixth in three-pointers made, and they lead the league in three-point percentage. Honestly, they answered a really big question I had about them earlier in the year when my knock on the Clippers was the playmaking. You know, I didn't know if they had enough playmakers on this roster to facilitate and balance the offense, but Kawhi has drastically improved in that regard, always spotting cutters, uh, throwing lobs. Paul George has had a drastic improvement in playmaking. We see a lot of cross-court passes. You know, he's throwing lobs, he's spotting cutters, and they're surrounded by good shooters. Honestly, my one concern, and I think the the way that they can make themselves my title favorites as the season comes to a close, is if we see a drastic improvement from someone at that five spot. I mean, ideally, the key would be, as I mentioned earlier, a defensive rim-running big man who can dominate the paint and deter the best players in the West in LeBron and Jokic. Sadly, guys like that don't just grow on trees, but... I think they've got decent personnel to throw out there. You've got Serge Ibaka, who, again, if he's fully healthy, I think can slow down in LeBron and Jokic to an extent, even though he's gotten up there in age. Um, 
I think Cousins is going to be a big part of this equation as well, man. He's We've seen his role now has been knocking down, you know, spot-up jumpers when he gets them, and he's been getting some decent uh, post touches back inside, putting up little hooks and stuff like that. I just think we have to see a... We have to see one of those guys step up in a big way on the defensive end because we all know that they're going to produce offensively. We need someone to definitively hold down the paint for the Clippers, and I think I could maybe genuinely take them uh, as my team out west. Yeah, I mean, I think that those are all important elements in this, but for me, I don't know what that one thing I could see would be to where I could actually look at this team and say they are my number one title favorite just because... There's something so weird about it, but I think that they're trending in the right direction. And I think that what will always be their greatest asset is the fact that they are probably the greatest three-point shooting team ever. They're shooting at some of the best efficiency of all time. I think that they might be second all-time by three-point percentage on really high volume and really don't play people outside of Zubats who cannot kill you with the three-point shot. Throw Rondo into there, but he's even been shooting the ball fine in his time with the Clippers, and I think that Rondo is also another important component here because when he can actually captain the second unit and when he can score and play make at a high enough level like we saw in last year's playoffs, he can change stuff. And I was skeptical of that signing, and I thought this isn't going to matter, and I think that it has mattered thus far. So I don't know what it is because it's just so strange to me to have a team that doesn't have that commanding floor general presence and that has a couple of score-first wings as your playmaking engines. And yeah, they've taken strides there, as you mentioned. Massive strides, both Kawhi and PG, but it's still that ISO-heavy, pick-and-roll-heavy offense from the wings that is just unorthodox. But when you have guys who can create those good looks because they just collapse defenses and they demand so much attention, and you have guys around them who are going to knock down 42% of their threes, that makes for some of the best offense ever. And so... I think you're right in addressing the defense because in some ways it felt like that was something we could expect to be maybe the strength of this Clippers team and their top 10 there. So you're not going to be concerned about it. But if they can get to that elite defensive level, I think they have the highest two-way ceiling of any team. I think that they certainly have more offensive firepower than the Lakers and they are certainly miles ahead of the Nets defensively. And if they can pair those two together, then I think that that could be the best team in basketball. And I don't know what it is that's fully holding me back. I don't know why I'm so skeptical because we know what Kawhi is. I mean, there's no question about him being the best guy on a title team. And I think that with the variety of offensive weapons they have, it's scary stuff. But it's kind of like what I said when we were ranking our title contenders. There's just something that feels formulaic and it feels a little bit rigid. And I don't really trust that third guy to go out there and swing a series still. And because of that, I don't think that they can ever be my outright title favorite. Like I can see plenty of worlds in which they win the title. Absolutely. Absolutely. But is there anything they can do in these last eight games that will empower me to say, okay, they are my title favorite? I don't think that there is. I don't think even if they do see really high-level rim protection from a Serge Ibaka, because that's who it's going to be. It's not going to be Zubots. It's certainly not going to be Boogie at this point. I still don't think that would be enough for me. And that's just kind of where I'm at right now. Well, I think also another factor in this I don't know how much you can trust. Uh, it's something that's held me back. I don't know how much you can trust yeah. Paul George. And I know that's a tired old uh, conversation, but can I trust mm -hmm. playoff P? I think it's still a, a question that's uh, that you need to have about the Clippers. I do want to ask you this. So, obviously, they're not your favorite. Then do you think there's any matchup out West that is either extremely favorable to uh, the Clippers or extremely out of their favor that you think they'd get ran off the court? That's a good question. 
Not really. I think that every series with them is kind of going to come down to what level do they shoot the ball at? And then do they have that third impact guy? Because I just think that if you look at the Jazz or the Suns, the amount that I like their three through seven compared to the Clippers, it's not close. And I think it will also come down to can Kawhi just go fully supernova and carry this team to where he wants them to go. I mean, is the third guy on this team going to be Rajon Rondo? It's either Rondo or Ibaka or Marcus Morris. And if it's and if it's Marcus Morris, I just don't think that's good enough because he doesn't have that multifaceted impact. I mean, Rondo is the guy to me who can actually impact the game in all its phases as a playmaker, as a scorer, and on the defensive end. Nobody else on this roster can do that. And that, to me, is kind of a red flag. I think that you need that third guy. I think you need multiple guys who can actually swing a series but for the Clippers, the guys who can swing a series are shooters. And you can't just discredit that because it's weird because we're in a different era of basketball where that is by so far the most important thing and they do it better than anybody. So at this point, I just don't know who my title pick is. I'm going to need to do some soul searching over these last couple weeks. And uh, I'm going to need to try to find some answers from somewhere because there are times where I think, yeah, that's a team that could really win the title. And there are times I think they're just a little bit too weird for me to actually pick them outright. Okay, I have one final Clippers question for you then. Mm -hmm. Who do you trust more to be consistent throughout the playoffs from behind the arc, Milwaukee or Los Angeles? Clippers. Not that close for me. I just think when you have this many guys who are legitimately elite shooters, it's like nothing we've ever seen before. And it's special. No, don't even mention Bryn Forbes. That's cool. <laughs> I mean, Bryn Forbes is a laser, man. I mean, the dude just shoots darts, but it doesn't compare to having seven elite shooters on one team. I mean, that is insane, and that's what the Clippers have. They have effectively eight 40% three-point shooters. You throw Boogie in there, and they have nine. Like, that is insane. And uh, it just comes down to do they have the third guy that can actually swing things and a bunch of stuff that we've already talked about, but they can't be my title favorite outright. I don't think there's anything that they can do. So that's where I stand. Okay, let's wrap this up. By taking a little bit of a broader look at just sort of the landscape of both conferences, we talked about which matchups we want to see. But, Logan, to you, which team has the most potential to pull off an upset and then also to be upset in each conference? Let's start out east again. Um, so I think out east there's only one team that I'd say that... Uh, actually, there's just one series that I'm looking at, and I'd say to make an upset happen, I'd say Atlanta. I just think... Where they're going to be slotted at, if they play the Knicks, I think that's a very easy uh, upset for them. And then I just think the Knicks are the most likely team to get upset. They're a you know top four seed right now. I don't trust – I think this was evident against um, the Nuggets. Dude, Julius Randle's the only offensive engine for the Knicks, and I was wrong. Yeah. I was completely wrong when we had the Emmanuel quickly debate. Um I'm taking Randle all day in those isolation situations. Uh, I, I, I admit – my faults. Uh, Randall's good in him, and he is the only guy who can reliably get his, off his own shot and create for himself. There's nobody else there. That's why I think it makes him susceptible to get upset. When you have, in Atlanta, when you have a guy like Bogey and a guy like Trey who can get their own shots, and their offense has been so much more fluid since getting rid of Lloyd Pierce, uh, the Hawks are surging, and I honestly, I'm probably going to pick them to beat the Knicks. I think they're the most likely upset out there. After that, I mean, maybe the Heat or the Celtics, if the Nets aren't at full strength, I think that's kind of likely, but less than. So I'd say the Hawks are most likely, and then whoever plays the Nets if they aren't fully healthy. 
I don't think that we can really consider Knicks Hawks an upset. They're separated by one game. We could very reasonably still see the Hawks in that four spot, and I think they're the better team. I mean, I would pick the Hawks without that much hesitation in that series just because I think, as you touched on, the Knicks have too many offensive dry spells, and they're too singularly dependent on Julius Randle to wear the Hawks at full strength, man. I don't know. If they ended up in the four seed with the Sixers sitting in the one seed, I think they could make some noise in a second-round series with the way Bogey has been playing and presuming that DeAndre Hunter is actually able to come back and have a legitimate impact. I'm going to say the Heat have the most upset potential. And I wanted to say the Celtics because I think their offense is so much better, but I still think the Heat's offense has legitimate potential. I don't know how we can ever completely write them off. I'm not going to be the one to do it. And I think defensively they can just give so many fits to so many different teams and they're just a team with really special talent that we saw make a run to the finals last year that got better on paper and I think that that team can still be pretty scary and then to get upset I'm gonna go with the Bucks. I kind of wanted to say the Sixers because I worry about the offensive punch in a big series but also the Sixers are the one seed so they're going to be drawing whoever's in that eight spot and that team is not going to pull off an upset of any significance against them and so I guess I'll roll with the Bucks. they're only 18 and 17 versus 500 plus teams on the year and as we've seen before they can be formulaic and you can have some trouble with Bud and sometimes Giannis doesn't show up and sometimes Middleton isn't the closer you need so I have questions there but I really just think it comes down to matchups I mean I could see the Bucks getting beaten by the Heat or the Celtics I think that those are both teams that have been disappointing, very flawed, but that on their best day can also still be really, really scary. So I'll go Heat most likely to upset, Bucks most likely to get upset. I don't know about that one, man. On which front? I just like, I don't think the Bucks are drastically different, but I don't think there's a chance they get upset in the first round. If they draw the Heat, and the Heat are knocking down 40% of their threes, and Oladipo actually finds a way to integrate and play well. When have we seen that this season? We haven't. But I think that there's potential for it. I mean, yeah, if Goran Dragic, you know, drops 20 points per game and is getting six assists a night, maybe the Heat have a chance. But it's out east, I think, is a little more boring. It's kind of just far-fetched, in my opinion. I don't know if I can fully agree with you there because I think that the Heat are a significantly better team defensively than they were last year. And I think that they have all of the pieces to be a better offense. And yes, we haven't seen it all year. I agree. But there is a world in which for six or seven games, which is all you need, that can come together and they can make noise. And I think that the Celtics are a similar deal. I mean, Tatum can carry you through a series. And if the defense is locked in and if guys like Fournier are knocking down shots and if Kemba actually shows up, they could win a series there too, which I think is one of the really fun things is we're going to have some teams that can make some noise out east. So they're very flawed, absolutely. But I still am going to look at that ceiling and say there's something there for both of those teams. Okay, let's flip out west then, if you're more excited for that. Who are your candidates in the Western Conference? So my biggest one, I would say, is the Lakers. Obviously, wherever they draw, um, I mean, I don't know how much you can consider an upset, but just by seeding, I think I could see that happen. Um Man, I can easily see the Nuggets knocking off the Jazz in the second round and getting to the Western Conference Finals. I think that's completely within the realm of possibility. And as it goes for, like, playing teams, ah, I was about to get kind of spicy. I don't think I'm going to do it. Hmm? How spicy were we talking? I, I was going full loon. I was going to say something about, you know, <laughs> Steph getting hot and dropping 50 a night to maybe beat the Jazz or something, but... 
I don't know yeah. about all that. Um, I think the most likely, I-, I could easily see the Nuggets taking down the Jazz. I think that's the biggest one. In the first round, though, man, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at, I wouldn't be surprised at a lot of this if uh, maybe the Mavericks have a chance against the Nuggets. Um, and then mm-hmm. I'd say either of the teams in the Lakers or the Clippers have a chance to take the Suns. They're just, all of these teams are great. That is what, Yeah. I, I know it's boring, but that is what is, the West is going to be so much fun this year because I genuinely think six teams can come out, and it's it's, wow. it's unreal. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's hard for me to pick out one of the top four teams because I think they are all so solid. But at this point, out of that top four group, I would go with the Nuggets just because I think that they're, first of all, in peril of drawing the most dangerous matchups with either the Mavs or the Lakers as maybe the most likely candidates for that five spot, but maybe not the Lakers at this point, given how injured they are, because they might not win a lot of games down this stretch. But I just think, I don't know, man. When we're looking at a world where it is possible that after MPJ, your third best player is Compazzo for a few games, because, again, we don't know when Barton and Monte Morris and PJ Dozier are coming back. I think that compared to a team like the Jazz, the Suns, or the Clippers, they're probably the most likely to get upset. But as we talked about, I can see them winning a couple series too in a in very many worlds like I don't think that that is at all improbable and then for the upset potential I don't consider the Lakers an upset it's an upset by seeding it's not an upset in spirit in my opinion you're the defending champions and you should have gotten better on paper I think that I have to go the Mavs because I think the Blazers defense is too bad but the Blazers have the third best offense ever right now and obviously when you have a guard tandem at the top like Damon CJ If guys are knocking down shots on the wings, and if Norman Powell can step up and in his minutes where he's alone just go berserk and put up 22 points a game, which he could totally do, that offense is enough to win you a couple games against anybody. I don't know if it's enough to win you a whole series. I'm going to go with the Mavs just because I think they have certainly the best player between those two teams and the guy who can most easily carry an offense as a one-man engine. I think they have the shooters to really make a difference when they're fully locked in. And then I just think that they're a significant step ahead of the Blazers defensively. I mean, the Blazers have been as bad defensively almost as they've been good offensively. And the Mavs maybe haven't been the top three offense of all time. They're still the eighth best offense in basketball, and they were the best offense ever last year. But they've been more than respectable defensively as this year has gone along. And so I just have a little bit more faith in them because of that. I don't think anybody in that eighth spot is pulling off an upset against the Jazz in the one seed. I'm presuming that Mitchell is back healthy, especially... But the Jazz are just a well-oiled machine, man. And I may have cooled on their title hopes a little bit, but that is a phenomenal two-way team with, as I've said, as good of a top seven as I think we've really ever seen that is going to have a heck of a second-round matchup against whoever it may be. If it's the Nuggets, if it's the Lakers, if it's the Clippers, I don't know. It's going to be... I mean, the second-round matchups out West? Are you kidding me? It's going to be absurd. It's going to be like, again, four of the six best teams squaring off against each other in the second round. It's going to be amazing. So I guess this is like asking you who your favorite is out West, but who do you think is least likely to get upset? Who do you have the most confidence in of getting out of that first round? The Jazz, because they're going to be facing the only team to me that is not an actual contender to pull off an upset. Like the Blazers, I think, are too flawed again, but they could shoot 45% from three for a series and make things really interesting. The Warriors don't have that kind of potential. They have two good players. The Grizzlies don't have that kind of potential. They don't have the star at the top driving it. 
And I just think the Pelicans are too unreliable and aren't good enough as a shooting team or defensively to actually really put a scare into a team like Utah's heart that is just so sound across the board. The Blazers pick to me is interesting, man. Well, I think that they're a step behind the Mavs. Like, I don't think the Blazers are upsetting anybody, and I don't think the Mavs are upsetting anybody either. Against the Nuggets would be interesting. I don't give them much of a shot against one of the top three teams out West right now, although Clippers would be very fun to see that rematch. But I don't know how you can discount the Blazers. I mean, they're trouble for themselves a lot of the time. But when you have one of the best offenses ever, you can make some noise. Yeah, and then when the Suns have two of the best closers of all time and a really talented defense, I'm giving them the edge. But I appreciate the enthusiasm. I mean, I can... Yeah. No, duh, bro. I think that the Suns would beat the Blazers in five. That would be my pick, all right? But I don't think that the Mavs are beating anybody either. It's potential. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I know, but you think that the Trailblazers have a better chance of beating the Suns than the Mavs do of beating the Nuggets? No! That's okay. the exact opposite just, of what okay. I said. Okay, okay, okay. It's not even close. Not only do I think that the Mavs <laughs> are the better team, I think that the Suns would be much harder to upset. Where did you hear this? When did I say this? I literally went through and I said that the Mavs have more upset potential. And that the Nuggets are the team I think are most likely to be upset. Hey, you know, I heard this on that other podcast uh, I was listening Work to. Work on your listening skills, Logan. Come on. It's I the first thing they teach you in At journalism school, grade. yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, any final thoughts here as we wrap things up? Uh, yeah, I mean, Matisse Thibel deserves a lot of credit for the 76ers' defensive impact this <laughs> season, man. He's not getting it, you know. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they just, oh, Embiid's one of the best rim protectors in basketball, and Ben Simmons is the best perimeter defender. But Matisse has been balling out all season long. I don't hear everybody clamoring about Matisse for Defensive Player of the Year. All right, from now on at the end of shows, I'm just going to throw it over to you for a thought, and you can just say something completely unrelated to anything we've talked about because that was actually pretty sweet. Um, I'm trying to think if I have any similar thoughts. I don't know, man. P.J. Dozier is better than he gets credit for, all right? I'm Team P.J. Dozier. Dude, I wish I had hope he gets healthy last soon. week's show, too. And I was wrong about R.J. Hampton, dude. I crapped on that dude in the pre-draft process. Yeah. R.J. has been putting up some numbers, man. Yeah, let's actually just talk about the magic. My guy, Mo, also putting up some numbers. <laughs> also doing his work down there in Orlando. A lot also, of fun stuff going on. A mistake in the rebuild, though. They gave up Kim Birch. Yeah, that was actually a massive error. They look like fools for that. Okay. <laughs> On that note, we will actually wrap things up here just as the NBA season is wrapping up in exciting fashion. It has been a pleasure as always. If you want more content out of us, you can check out our YouTube channel where we do a bunch of video breakdown stuff, NBA, NFL. We also have been posting a lot of our pods there as well in full video format. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to people talk. You can follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh and on Instagram at nerd sesh. Just keep posting with what we're doing here. A lot of video content, a lot of graphic content, all that good stuff. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Braver. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.